Hello and welcome to this edition of Secure Networks, the Index Packet Forensic Files with your host, Michael Morris. This week's guest is Al Edgar, former Information Security Manager for Health Alliance and now Information Security Manager for Endace. Al, welcome to Endace. Welcome to our podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, hi, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, so uh, myself, so I've I've been in the IT industry for 20 years, uh, 15 of it in uh, dedicated information security roles. Um, I've almost done the full gamut of IT. I've done the traditional help desk. I've done development. I've done uh, first and second line desktop and server support. And then uh, obviously over to information security where I was uh, started off in the operational side of things. So I was a firewall jockey. Uh, moved to um, moved to penetration testing, so I I, be, I became a penetration tester uh, for a bank where I helped um, build up uh, and lead the uh, internal pen testing capability. Uh, then moved into more of a general uh, security consultancy role, and then finally uh, into management with my my last role at Health Alliance and currently here. Um, yeah, so got a uh, got a whole wide range of skills and um, pretty much almost seen everything there is to see in the in the information security industry. And Al, that, that ex- experience and background is exactly why I wanted to have you on our series, because we like talking to, to industry experts that have that experience that can really share their insights uh, for our listeners of, of how to better secure their networks. So kind of where I want to start with you is, you know, having that very diverse background and been in a number of different organizations, what is your view on the current state of many organizations' security, cybersecurity posture? And that's a good question, Michael. Um, so what I what I feel is many organizations' cybersecurity posture at the moment it's it's constantly evolving. Um, it's it's probably one of the more dynamic aspects of of, of any business, um, and and I feel that with recent uh, things that have happened, that any CISO worth their salt will probably be having the occasional sleepless night. And the, the reason, one of the reasons for that is, is that we've now got a, a increased cloud integrations. Obviously, a lot of organizations are going with a cloud-first uh, strategy. So increased cloud integrations and a generally a more remote workforce means that the organizational boundary is, is now more distributed than ever. You, you, you don't have your two firewalls letting everything in and out, and that's it, you're all... You're all happy, and that makes it hard to to secure, and it also makes it hard to track the flow of information. No, that's a great point. Uh, the dynamic nature of things uh, makes it nearly impossible. Um, how do you how do organizations ensure the confidentiality, the integrity, and really the availability of their sensitive data and systems? Right with that environment you just described. Yeah, um, I, I feel it's it's a top-down approach in, in terms of people, process, and technology. So if you look at it from a people perspective, mm-hmm. from the top, the board and the exec, they have to buy, they have to buy into any cyber program, anything that 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 addresses the, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, as a proper security program generates organizational change, it's crucial that they support it. If, if they don't support it, it's going it's hard to get that traction. However, on the other end of the spectrum, the, it's the end user. And they have arguably the most important part because they they need to ensure that they adhere to any security controls 
but they also need to provide feedback as to aspects of it that aren't working. Um, mm-hmm. but the last thing you want as a as, as a security practitioner or CISO is is people bypassing your security controls and programs because it just doesn't work for them. And 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 we know that unfortunately that's a sad it's a sad fact of reality. Um, you know, it's it's important that any well implemented security program it needs to support the business to achieve its goals, not make the organization reassess them. Uh, process, you know, it's it's really important that that you develop a, an, an information security management system or an IS, ISMS, and that should be aligned to a known standard. So, for example, ISO twenty seven thousand and one, or one of the NIST or one of the NIST standards. And and these these ISMSs they give you the the guidance on the policy and standards that you need to implement. So again, the top, the high level. And and that is important because if you if you take it back to people, which I feel is one of the most important aspects of cyber, is people need to know what good looks like. Right. Yeah, and technology. So so this this now is I guess the rubber hitting the road, so to speak. So you need yeah. to make sure that you have the right technology to implement the technical controls that outlined in the ISMS that you're you're following. And I have to say, there is there is no, I've learned this, and I've probably learned it the hard way, there is no wrong technical choice. If you can make it work for you, it's the right technology. That's a that's a great point. And often people get caught up of, you know, am I making the right investment? Am I buying all the right tools? Do I have all the right components? But uh, you've got to make it work for your environment. I, I think that's a tremendous point. And and another thing I came back to you and your, your point was, um, the early on, right? Especially in a large environment, it, it's hard to get everybody to comply with with the plans and the policies you put in place, right? Because you don't want them working around and circumventing your procedures because then it just just puts a, a self-hole in it, right? Absolutely. And if you see that behavior, that's a really good indicator that you haven't got it right. You know, yes, oh, sometimes you, you need to, you know, you need to say no, you know, we don't do that. But if if they're doing it because it's actually impacting their business process, then you need to revisit it. No, that's that's an excellent point. And I think a lot of CISOs forget to, you know, take that feedback and and you know adjust. So along those lines, from your perspective, what does a good incident response response plan look like? And how is it tested and updated? Um, so a good IR, IR plan, I feel, it, it it has to be people focused and clear, especially in terms of objective and scope. When mm-hmm. you know when do we activate it? When do we not? And and who is involved? That has to be really really clear. Um, and coming on from that is roles and responsibilities. So you know you can argue that this is actually the most important aspect. Is as any IR plan that isn't clear on who does what and why we're doing it is, is going to struggle to be effective in a in a real mm. incident. You know, it's important to note that in an incident, the normal chain of command and structure doesn't actually necessarily apply. So so for example, the CISO may not make the calls in an incident. Uh, communication. So I think you know stakeholders need to be kept informed. And in an incident, there's quite a few stakeholders, you know, whether that's the executive or or the end user. What what you say to the affected end user and what decisions do you want the executive to make, if any? Mm, okay. Um, process. So people need to know now that we have invoked the the plan, 
what does that mean? What are the phases? What do, what do we do in it? It's especially important for evidence collection, forensics and documentation. You know, mm. you have to, in a, in a, in a large scale incident, you have to get that absolutely right, that chain of command, if you are dealing with external entities, law enforcement, government um, and such. You know, um, is our reporting of our time, of the incident and the timelines, the decisions made and the actions taken, are they recorded appropriately? Because mm. you need to learn, I'll, I'll say a little bit later, but you do need to learn from your incidents. And I think also very importantly, the writer of a of, of an IR plan needs to realise that it's, it's actually a living document and it will be changed. Um, you know, German military strategist uh, Helmut von Molke said, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. And and I, you know, and, and I think that's very, very true in an, in an incident. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, regarding testing an IR plan, it's always good to have an IR plan, but you've got to test it. And so the first one is, is tabletop exercises. You know, mm, I, okay. I personally, I'm not a fan of them. However, they are really good way of seeing if your IR plan is actually hitting the mark. Um, if there's confusion or the attendees need to be led through it by the hand, then that's a litmus test that your, your plan isn't quite right and you need to train your staff more or simplify your plan. Um, very importantly, each incident is actually a test of the incident response plan. You know, ensure that there's a de debrief of the team after the incident ends. Don't, don't just pat yourself on the back for a job well done. I mean, that's great. It's awesome. You've, you know, you've, re you've restored services, you've done what you need to. But you need to loop back and, and talk about what went well and what didn't go so well. And in my opinion, the latter is far more important than the former, as you can feed that back into the plan. Again, it's, it should be a living document. Uh, training. Um, ensure that the staff participating in the incident have the skills to be able to be successful in it. Not everyone in the incident will be fixing the problem directly. Not everybody's yeah. gonna gonna restore the services. Others have a very important role in it, ensuring that it's it's successful. Um, you know, communications, you know, uh, stakeholder engagement, that sort of thing. Train mm -hmm. train everyone as to their responsibilities when the the plan gets activated. Wow, you had so many nuggets of information in there. <laughs> that that was incredibly good. I, I, I mean, there's takeaways for any CISO and and uh, SOC manager just just in that one question alone. There, so wow, you you really knocked it out of it with with those details. Thank you. Um, when you take the next step, right? So, what measures can you take to identify and mitigate potential threats and vulnerabilities? You know, kind of taking it down a level. How do you get into the measures? Yeah, that's that's a that's that's a good point. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I. And I feel that, you know, to be successful, first of all, you need to know what you're protecting in, in terms of both your IT and your information assets. Mm -hmm. If if you don't know what you have, you're already on the back foot because you've got so many unknowns. Um, you need to develop a, a comprehensive uh, vulnerability scanning uh, program of those assets. Mm -hmm. You need to run a risk assessment uh, of the assets. You, you need to understand the lie of the land. You need to know what you've got to deal with. Um, you need to upgrade your threat intel capability. Ensure that your red and blue teams are always watching the threat environment, and so they are ready to react if need be. What we've seen, you know, in the last few years is vulnerabilities are being weaponized at a really, really quick rate. You know, there's there's a a, a zero an, an easy zero day exploit that can be easily weaponized and out and scanning within a day. We've seen it before. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, actually that you hit on the head kind of my next question where I was going is with all the things most security teams, SOC analysts, CISOs uh, need to do in terms of the fortifying their infrastructures, how do they make time or how do they take the cycles to really stay updated on the latest cybersecurity trends, threats and regulations, recommendations? I, I mean, that that's a lot of information in itself. So how do, how do you even stay how do you stay current? Yeah, I mean, look, staying current, <laughs> staying updated, it's actually really important in, in cybersecurity. I mean, right. you never be one step ahead, but you look to be only half a step behind. <laughs> okay, good. Um, you know, so so what you do, first of all, subscribe to the to the various cyber blogs, vlogs, you know, podcasts or, or publications. You, you're spoiled for choice. There are re- there are many, many really good ones out there. And similar to that is is threat intelligence feeds. So they're they're generally more technical than the blogs, and they can contain indicators of compromise uh, and other artifacts. Mm. There are free ones as well as commercial offerings that can actually collate against your brands and IP. Um, And this is important. Subscribing is all well and good. But if, if you're actually not putting the time into looking at the feeds, and correlating them back to what does that mean now from my assets that I know of and my the lie of the land, then there's no value there, right? So so I highly encourage that teams, you know, they they actually set out dedicated review time to to actually review the the, the latest threat intel. I mean, my my morning routine that I follow is is coffee, emails, intel. Um, coffee first. You always got to start your day with a coffee. But, um, <laughs> You know, I, I I must admit that I'm also like um, most of my cyber peers, and that I'm I'm always idly checking my my phone for some cyber post or or, mm-hmm. or feed outside of work hours as well. But definitely having time within your team's day to have somebody looking at the feeds and looking at it from a lens back into your organization, I think is key. I think that's that's great insight, but I mean, I can just see how challenging it is because it. It's really a mapping of the threat intel feeds and insights, right, is one aspect. But then you've got to constantly correlate it with your infrastructure, your business, your architecture. You know, do you have cloud? Do you have AWS? Do you have Azure? Do you have something else? Do you have? <laughs> so it, it it really becomes a complex, sophisticated mapping, including what other tools and applications you have, right? So, and that kind of leads me that kind of leads me to my next question, which is. Um, can you give some suggestions or describe a, a best practice process for assessing and managing third-party vendor risk, right? Because that's another angle of you've got all these third-party applications. You know, you're looking at threat intel on everything, but now you got to know what you've got in-house. Yeah, and I'll be honest, third-party vendor risk, it's its very topical in, in cyber right now. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned SolarWinds to, to most people, and they don't think – Gee, they make awesome IT management software. <laughs> you know, they, they you know they they think of they think of the breach. So you know, I think you know a good process for for, for dealing with third party vendors and and the risk management of them is first of all keep a, a centralized in, inventory of them. Um, mm-hmm. You can't have a risk mitigation strategy if if you don't know what all your risks are. Um, right. Ensure that you know what they do, the services they provide. Uh, what information of yours they have access to, either storing for you or access to, or and 
what access to to your environment they have. And again, it's it's one of the themes that I come back to, which is visibility is key. Yeah. Um, once you have your inventory, try to categorize them by risk, not not just cyber risk, but by other risk categories such as privacy or operational. So a good example is Amazon. If 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 most or all of your resources are in AWS and that had an outage, what would that mean to your organization? Could it function? Could it not? Um, do a risk assessment that covers all of the the risk types. And the best time to to do that is when you're looking to onboard a, a third party vendor. You know, I feel they they generally tend to be at their most cooperative then when they're obviously looking for business, and um, they can and, and they're more uh, willing to assist you in the assessment. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've seen, uh, which traditionally has been an area for improvement and is getting, I must say, is getting better, is in the contractual side of things. Okay. So where, poss- where possible, ensure you have the right clauses in them. Good things you want to see are clauses around the right to conduct security assessments, mandatory breach notification, and clauses around data protection and confidentiality. Are they are they meeting a certain standard? You know, right. Is there a clause to say you must adhere to, you must have an ISMS that adheres to ISO 27001, for example? Mm-hmm. No, those are some excellent points. Uh, I mean, the, you're, you're building a blueprint for... <laughs> any security organization here with all these these insights you're sharing. Um, you mentioned people earlier, right? It's a big, big leg of the stool that you were describing. So how do you approach employees, uh, people, um, in terms of their cybersecurity awareness training and overall education, right? Because there's certain parts of the organization that are, that's their day-to-day life, right? But there's large parts of many organizations that, they don't even think about it, right? So, um, how, how do you change that model? How do you really focus on the training? So, so this question's one that's actually quite dear to my heart. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer that modern cybersecurity done right is one of the most people-focused aspects of of IT. So, with that in mind, um, you know, your as a security practitioner, your customers, aka okay, the end users, they they need to feel that you're not there to beat them with sticks when they mess up, but that you're there to give them the tools to do the job safely and securely. And and the training and awareness aspect, it actually needs to reflect that. Mm -hmm. Um, So combining that with the continual messaging that no, the cybersecurity team is not solely responsible for security in this organization, we all are. So you need to develop a comms and training program that is engaging and not formulaic you know it's really really easy to to you won't you'll you'll check all your emails you'll check this header you'll check this you'll check that and you know so and and that you lose you you lose your 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 staff your your your, your team they just they just switch off what you don't want is them you know thinking that you're just lecturing them and and, and stuff like that so 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 a good way to do that is, you, is you, you take a big cyber news item like like breaches and, and you do a comms piece to your staff. You, you break it down down for them, you know, what's happened, maybe a little bit of a technical write-up. But very importantly, you tie it back to what this means for the company mm-hmm. and what it means for you personally. Right. Um, and and so that that then ties in with the continual approach, which needs to be one of you have person your own personal responsibility for for cyber. You know you you are responsible for cyber yeah. just as much as your peer. And then finally, you 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 verify that training through simulated cyber attacks like like mm-hmm. phishing campaigns. Right. 
No, that's that's a great point. I mean, you nailed it on the head. Everybody's got to feel ownership and buy-in that they're part of the cybersecurity defense system, right? So um, I, I, I think you're spot on track there. One of the things big for me, I mean, you mentioned that's near and dear to your heart is is metrics. How do you measure or what are some key performance indicators an, an organization can implement or um, define to really track and evaluate the effectiveness of their cybersecurity program as a whole, right? Both the processes, the procedures, the tools. Uh, so I'll call it the program. What, what are some metrics that you, you suggest they start with at least? Um, well, for, for me, I guess one of the, it's probably the least formal metric is, is how many times does this go off in, in, the, <laughs> middle of the, in the middle of the night and I've, and now I've got to work, you know, so AKA the number of cyber incidents and, and, and how quick are we to, to detect and respond? So I, I think that's a, that's a really good um, indicator. Uh, another one is how easy and quick is it to remediate vulnerabilities, whether through monthly mm -hmm. patching cycles or ad hoc um overall vulnerability levels you know we're, we're all you're always going to have vulnerabilities present in an organization whether it's due mm -hmm. to technical debt or whether it's due to other factors but a steady decrease is a good indicator things are working conversely the other way around um you know it may mean that there's something that that you're missing in in your program that you need to address um user clickiness so uh, how many users are, are falling for your, your phishing sims? If it's increasing, then you need to put more effort into your awareness right. and training program. <laughs> that's a, that's an easy metric. Yeah, I get that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the fun parts of my job, uh, sending those emails. Um, and then finally, you know, overall compliance of your ISMS to the standard that it's aligned to. Will we, aka, will we pass our next audit? Right. And, and I, th I think that's, that's a very important one. If aligning to our ISMS standard is important for you as an organization. Right. Those are some great points. And I, I think things people can take away to really focus on for, for tangible progress. Um, so uh, one of the things I always like to ask our industry experts as they come onto our show is what's one thing, I mean, there's a lot going on in cybersecurity. What's one thing you'd really recommend to our listeners and our viewers to really think about over the next six to 18 months in, in the ever-shifting battle for cybersecurity? Oh, okay. <laughs> I've, I've got something that's very topical. You, you, you see blog posts about it all the time, and I'm going to jump on the bandwagon here. AI. <laughs> that's fine. So, you know, I, I personally think there's going to be a mass weaponization of this technology, and, and I think threat actors will find that it's even easier to deliver campaigns, exploits, you know, uh, post-exploit exfil, you know, it's, it's going to be mm -hmm. far easier than ever before. Um, and and I, I I definitely see there's going to be a lot of cyber crime kits that are going to be developed using uh, using AI. Uh, I also mm -hmm. urge people to remember that, that anything that you send to AI to process, you have to assume is being stored somewhere. So, so whilst writing it, you know, a, a prompt for ChatGPT, for example, you know, write me a blog post for my Rotary Club, that may be relatively benign, but, you know, take, you know, one that is take the supplied contract after this prompt and tell me if I'm missing any privacy clauses. That That's not so. Yeah, that's, right. you know, your contract's gone. You you know, you have to assume that that, you know, it's being stored somewhere. So so that's 
so so that's kind of my my take on it is one a cautionary tale just just you know ai is great but just remember that um you know any information you send to it you lose control of and the other one is that it's a tool for good but you know as with anything you know it can be turned around and be a and, and be a tool to give professionals like myself security professionals like myself you know sleepless nights no that's that's an excellent one i actually read an article the other day about um CISOs are starting to be worried about employees using any AI solution, doesn't have to be chat GPT, with with company, um, I'm going to say confidential information, it doesn't necessarily have to be secret sauce stuff, but um, just in the context of a very you know, innocuous type of activity, can be sharing to get a response back information they didn't expect to be stored elsewhere. And uh, you, you nailed it on the head. I think it, it's going to be a real problem uh, in a number of avenues, both in both in what you described, um, more sophisticated attacks, but also, you know, attacks based on people oversharing. So um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, AI is here to stay, but we just we just have to be smarter with how we use it from a yep. cyber perspective. No, excellent. Well, Al, thank you for taking some uh, some of your precious time out of your day. Uh, to share insights and how to better secure networks. We'd ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our fusion technology partners, please go to endace.com. Al, again, thanks for taking the time and sharing a tremendous amount of expertise with our listeners. I appreciate well, it. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been uh, it's been great to, uh, to talk to you about this and, and share some of the the, the things that I've seen in, in my uh, in my years in the in the job.